Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Authentic Woman. I'm your host, Shannon Fisher. Good to have you listening tonight. My guest tonight is Dr. Ann Brown, and she worked as an alcohol clinical specialist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and also served as the program director of the outpatient drug and alcohol program at Greater Cape Ann Human Services. Um, she's a graduate of the University of Virginia. She uh, has a BS in nursing. She has an MS in psychiatric mental health and nursing from Boston University and a PhD in addiction studies from International University. So she is very, very well-versed in all things that lead to substance abuse. And, and more importantly, what we're going to talk about tonight is people-pleasing, which is a, um, a behavior that, that often leads to uh, significant unhappiness and depression and so many adverse psychological effects on a person's life, up to and including addiction. And the book that she's written is called Backbone Power, The Science of Saying No. And uh, it's a fantastic book. As, as I was reading it, it offers real-world solutions uh, as opposed to just theory of, of situations that, that we all face and, and ways that we can, we can stand up and get our backbone. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Ann Brown. Welcome, Ann. Thank you, Shannon. It's such a delight to be here with you. I so respect the show that you do and the voice that you have and the word that you're trying to get out. I just, I, I'm totally behind that. So great oh, to be you. here. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is, I, I, I love doing the show and I love, I love when I get to have people like you on who are, uh, you know, you're making a contribution to the, I mean, I, I think our mental health is, is something that it's, it's starting to become of public uh, focus and people are starting to realize the importance of mental health. But, um, you know, up until now, a lot of people wouldn't talk about depression and addiction publicly. And now, uh, people are starting to admit these things, and so the fact that you've been for you know for decades dealing with these things and and helping people individually one by one where it counts most, you know where we, who we are in our head is what counts most. So, um, yes. so what made you decide to get into this field? Um, you know, I think it was uh, I was looking for a job, and um, Brigham and Women's had an opening, and <laughs> I started in it, and I realized. Um, that the the true part of me, I grew up, you know, with the, the history of women is don't rock the boat, be compliant, keep the peace, avoid conflict. I grew up that way. But there was something very energizing to me in um, working with this population and helping the people that may be enable to speak your truth, to stop pretending there's a elephant in the room and nobody's going to talk about it. And there was something about that work that spoke to my soul, and I just kept on in, in there um, wanting to learn, wanting to develop myself to have a more vo a stronger voice because the more authentic you are, the better you know how to take care of yourself, the better you are going to be in every situation. And most of us have had uh, some connection to the addictions, to alcoholism. And you can get sucked into that and distracted from life with that discourse because it has that draw and drama. And so but it automatically teaches you, if you don't get sucked in, it teaches you how to take care of yourself. And I think that's also a way that 
the discourse is moving is to work with the people around the addicted to help them take care of themselves. Uh, so, sure, sure. It, it really is a family disease. It does not just affect the person who is addicted. Sometimes it affects the people around that person more because yes. the addicted person is not living in reality. They're in la-la land. Yes, yes. No, it was very interesting. I remember uh, at one point running a group, and in order to be in the group, you had to have five years of recovery. And so the group was all men, and I remember them saying to me, what were our wives thinking? Because we were crazy. I mean, we, we knew that. <laughs> but why why did they put up with that? Sure. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's a really good question. And we need yeah. to help we need to help people not do that. So why do people do that? Let's 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 start off with that. What what makes a person a a people pleaser who uh who puts others ahead of themselves to their own detriment. What What's the root of that? Well, I think we have a lot of messages. As I say, the history of women is don't rock the boat. And then, you know, when when you grow up and I don't, I'm sure there are somewhat normal families, but most of us have some dysfunction in our family. And there are different coping mechanisms that we get. And some people, and it's often women, but it isn't always women because men have said to me, you don't know me well enough, but this book is about me. We think that if we're quieter and better and get good grades and excel in the things that our parents want us to excel in, that we won't get the family dysfunction going or the drinking going. And so we develop people-pleasing or let me fit in or let me not notice and let me anticipate because if I don't anticipate, bad things are going to happen to me. So right. there's Whatever a lot in the universe that contributes to us doing what we think somebody else wants us to do. Yes, definitely. And whatever's not going to rock the boat. Whatever yes. will keep things calm and, and keep the world from exploding in this very moment. And then that, uh, that transfers later into thinking that the world's going to explode if we say no because it's just such a pattern. And so, yeah. so let's talk about the let's talk about people. What kinds of situations is a, a, a typical client of yours? Someone comes into your office and they clearly have a problem finding their backbone power, and they're they're not they're not standing up to somebody. What are the common situations that you see the most common? Um, I think it can be. It's all. I mean, I think you think it's one thing, but it it can affect people everywhere. I, I mean, it was I had a woman come in and and she was raised in an alcoholic family and she's been very very successful, but she came in after I gave her my book and she came back a week later and she read it and she said, you know, you're right. She said I've developed the people pleasing so much. She said that not only do other people don't know me, but she said I don't know me. Because you're not encouraged to have thoughts for yourself. I give a kind of a three-step program, and the second step is to learn how to make requests. A lot of people can't make requests. Um, I remember a mother coming in trying to make her visitation with her daughter better with the father. They were divorced. And I said, well, can she make requests for, the things, for them to do the things that she would like? 
And the mother said, no, 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 because if she makes a request, her father's going to uh, slap her. Okay, wow. that, little, that little girl is not going to know that she doesn't know how to make requests. She's not going to know why, but she's going to be launched into the world with all of the good, bad, and ugly, afraid to speak up for herself. Another client said to me, you know, we didn't make requests because that was a guarantee that you got exactly what you didn't want. So we didn't we didn't tell them what we wanted because it was guaranteed we wouldn't get it. So a lot of people who come from abusive homes or neglectful homes, they really uh, they learn these emotional patterns early in life and they end up repeating them. So, so and they how, may not what, what, know that they have learned them. So when women say to me, uh, you know, I have to have sex with him because he paid for dinner, I want to fall off my chair. And how did you get, how did you make that up in your head? But I know very well that they got taught some form of um, I'm not good enough as I am all by myself. You know, I'm not worthy to make requests. I can make requests for other people, they tell me, but not for myself. Right. And and you also say that there's a a lack of self-awareness. And so what causes what causes someone to to not really have any idea who they are as a person? Because if I wake up every single day and I and you're my teacher, and i got to think of what does Shannon want me to say today so Shannon will like me. I don't ever think of what I need from Shannon. I don't ever think of me. I don't ever think of what my needs are. All I think about is what I'm going to say to you so you will like me. You won't get upset with me. I won't rock the boat. There will be no conflict. I don't, care. Wow. I don't even know what my opinions are. I don't even know that people can have opinions. Because I'm right. devoted to thinking about, now think about that. How can you do that as a child? I'm devoted to thinking about what I need to say so you will like me and not be upset with me. That's so sad. It's so sad and it's such a burden. Yeah. And then the, the burden on top of that is that you don't know that that's what the card you were dealt. Right. You don't know any different. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. One of the most profound conversations I had with a young girl was when she came in and she uh, she tried to commit suicide, but I knew she didn't want to commit suicide. She wanted to call attention to the fact that her father was drinking and she thought he was going to die, and that's one way that kids will call attention. They'll act out. I had one boy tell me, I know if I skip school for three days, they're going to come and find that my mother's drinking. So that's how I get help in my house. But this young girl was telling me what happened in her house and her father would come home at two in the morning with um, sub sandwiches, submarine sandwiches, and she would get up at two in the morning and eat them because I don't think mom wanted to eat at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I said to her, do you understand your classmates are not getting up at 2 a.m. in the morning and eating with their dads? And she said, I never knew that, but I think you're right. I'm starting to think that you're right about that. 
so what happens is they get a distorted view of what normal is. And then a lot of my work is explaining to them what normal is. Right, right, because it can infiltrate, as you say in the book, pretty much every area of someone's life, from their yes. their home life to their professional life to uh, the, the roof over their head, friendships to their their own parenting. So, so how are some of the ways that um, – that this that all of these fingers go out and that this people pleasing just kind of kind of spreads its way and interjects itself into every little crevice of a person's life. Okay, so first of all, health. If I mean if you've ever not said what you want to say, you notice that you're ruminating and then you notice that you're building resentment and then you notice that you've got this whole case against that person. So who do you think body, whose body is going to be hurt by that? The person that you haven't said, you know, your body. Okay. So resentment kills. We know this. Your health is not going to be good because you are stewing. You think you're this nice person, but that upsetness has to go somewhere and it goes in your body. Finances, you don't know how to say no. Uh, I'm not going to let, because I run a home business, this was a huge question when I did a seminar um, for people starting their own businesses and home. They said, what do we say to our relatives and friends who want to bring their sick child to our house? <laughs> I say the same thing you would say if you were going to work. No, thank right. you for asking. <laughs> But they can't protect themselves. They can't say no to being um, taken advantage of. They can't ask for raises. You may not even know that people get raises. I remember having a conversation with a man once. Have you ever asked for a raise? What? You, you don't know how to negotiate. You'll take whatever is given to you. Um, socially, you're going to be the one offering to pay for lunch. You're going to be the one offering to do all the charity work. You're going to be the one offering to drive. You're going to be the one offering. And then you're going to not want to go with these people, and you're going to be upset that they don't offer like you do. Well, (laughs) they don't have to because you're doing it. And not everybody, you know, unfortunately, if you adopt some of these people-pleasing traits, perpetrators and opportunistic people, they know exactly who you are and they know how to get money out of your wallet and they know how to take advantage of you because they know you can't say no. Right. Spiritually, you just get dead because you're not, you're not, you got a little kid in there that you're not taking care of. You got a soul that you're not taking care of. Yeah. Yeah, and and you just project that victim energy, and they they pick up on it like a you know like a hound yep. dog on a hunt. Yep. Uh, it, it really is, and it's amazing, you know, because I, I've read statistics that people who have been victimized have a much higher chance of being victimized again, and yes. it's and and the studies show that it's not risk factors. It's not living in an area where there's more violent crime or putting themselves in, uh, you know, uncomfortable situations that it's, they are so emanating this victimhood energy that people are picking up on it. So how does somebody get out of it? What's the first step? 
First step is saying, and I like to give this example because it just made me laugh. Years and years ago, I was riding a cab, and we were talking about the, the ability to say no. The first step is you need to learn how to say no. And he said to me, oh, I know how to do that. I tell my wife and my mistress no at least twice a day. And I'm like, well, I don't exactly recommend your <laughs> your lifestyle here, but you're on the right track with saying no. Um and that's the first thing you have to do. And you need to you need to see if you can even do that. Because chances are, if you are in trouble with this, you're going to find that you're absolutely terrified. Your body's going to shake. Your voice is going to shake. And you're going to have a hard time the first time you say no. So I give exercises, tell you where to do it. Um, you can practice with friends. When I first started learning, we would all be in groups and we would – make requests of each other and we the other person would have to say no and you you can't do it with a story and because the story you're going to get to say no that you'll feel comfortable with is being sick and who wants to get sick just so you can say no so you have to say just no thanks for asking that doesn't work for me and no that story. really is that is so difficult for uh, for for a lo- for for pretty much everybody, but especially for for people pleasing. Um, yes. And so, how how do they muster up the courage? And 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 you do you've got I, I, one of the things I love about your book is that you have exercises and there's there's a workbook in the back and there are suggestions of uh, of, of things that that people can do to to improve this area and that area and it's really. Um, it's very helpful, and, yes. and I think that people really relate to it. it. It demonstrates a lot of different circumstances, and I think everybody's going to be able to see themselves in at least one or two of the situations. Now, what? Well, and there is if- no. I mean, this is not this this phenomena is not because of a lack of money, a lack of education, anything like that. This is just a phenomena that exists because you chose those tools. They helped you survive in a situation, but as you get older, hopefully you won't be in abusive situations so that you can use these tools. You don't need money to use these tools. You can start today saying no to the things that you don't want to do or that you want to say no to or that will clear the space for you to do something that's good for you. Right. Once you figure out what what is good for you, once you figure out exactly what it is that that you want. Now, yes. so some people develop incredible anxiety when they are faced with this, especially for the first time when they're learning how to say no. Um, how can people cope with that anxiety aside from turning to drugs and alcohol? Well, I think. If you if you have compassion for the fact that you probably were given adult assignments as a child, I mean, uh, adults that I see tell me that, you know, they had to make dinner for all the younger kids at the age of nine, and they were standing on step letters to try and find some cereal. I, in extreme cases, I know 12-year-olds were driving cars so that they – well, we saw that. There was a video of a um, – that went uh, – I think that was around your neck of the woods. Uh, the father who came to the 7-Eleven store in the van, he was totally drunk, and the little 12-year-old daughter or 11 or whatever she was left the store. 
Yeah, she was driving. It was two in the morning, three in the morning, something insane. Fortunately, they called the police. But when when you've been made to do things that that's not age appropriate, you you build that anxiety. So when someone like me comes along or this book comes along and says, okay, you can say no to that father and no, dad, it's not appropriate for me to drive. I don't have a license. I'm too small. I can't see over the wheel. You you didn't think you could do it then, so you just drove, or you didn't think you could say no to your mother or father passed out. You know, you need to get us dinner. That's what should have happened. But yeah. that anxiety may come up. What you have to do is remind yourself, that was then, this is now. I'm an adult, no life-threatening situations here. And I promise you, if you do one, if you do two, if you do three, if you do four, if you do five, it's like breaking a habit. And what people say to me is, oh, I feel so, it was a relief. You and I were discussing earlier, and I I had a man, I mean, he would say, he would say yes to everything. Would you clean my litter box? Yes. And no. he could he couldn't say no, and I told him, say, okay, just say I don't know. And then when you get home, see if you can say no from home. Well, it worked like magic for him because he said, of course, when I got home, I was like, are you kidding? I don't want to do that. So he was yeah. able to call the person and say, you know what, that doesn't work for me. But he couldn't say the no right away. He had to remove himself from being on the spot, in the on-the-spot yeah. position. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, and you stress in the book for, for people who end up in abusive situations as an adult that the first order of business before asserting yourself is to make sure that you are indeed in a safe situation. Yes, you cannot. If you're being hit, you cannot use any of my tools because you'll be hit more. Yes. If you're being hit, you're first. If you're in a situation where you will be hit, your life is not safe, um, the first order business is you need to get to the organizations that will help you get out of that. This is for your recovery so that you don't ever get yourself in that situation again because abuse can beget abuse. You know, if, if you were abused, it's easy to attract that. Sure. Well, and you also talk about people being addicted to drama. And, uh, I mean, I, I think so many people have, have have been there or have had friends and family who have been there that it's just all drama all the time, and they think that that's normal. And, and it, it becomes literally an addiction that they can't get enough, and if it's not dramatic, then it's not right. So... Well, it's also that your nerve endings, I mean, I, I don't know, I'll say this very simplistically, they get addicted to that, and then you think that that's what love is. Um, so probably, I think, you know, one of the uh, people who writes about sex abuse says that he knows if he goes into a room, the first person he's going to be attracted to is another is a woman who's been sexually abused because he was sexually abused, so he has to go to the woman he thinks is going to be the most boring. That's probably going to be normal. And you have to train yourself to retrain your body to realize that love does not have to have a lot of drama. It can be just very normal. Yeah. And that's that's really difficult for people who never never knew what normal was. They have to 
create their own normal. And, and yeah. so, uh, what if, how how can they pick a model? So if they if they wanted to, to to pick a role model or some help with coming up with what they think normal should be, how do they come up with that idea? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things I tell people, either people who haven't been in a relationship or who've been in that, is get an animal because there's, they're teaching you, uh, particularly a dog, unconditional love, unconditional love. They're pretty consistent. They're, they, they're going to teach you these things. You know, normal is people keep their agreements. You know, if they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. Ask people about Christmas. You know, if you're if you've been raised in a family where alcohol is a problem, you don't probably have a good memory of Christmas because you're always disappointed. Yeah. In yeah. normal, in normal, people keep their agreements. You don't have a lot of drama. Things get done. You know, we can we can get our excitement. If you need excitement, try skydiving. You know, but your excitement shouldn't come in your relation. Your your drama shouldn't come in your relationship. And that's something that uh, that's hard to that, that that's hard for a lot of people to internalize because you're you're right. That's that's what they that's what they know of love. And yep. so, well, so in talking about breaking breaking these patterns. Um, we also have to realize a lot of times we're so concerned about the impact that what we're doing, saying yes or no, is having on another person. In your book, you talk about uh, you need to learn that saying no isn't a rejection. So wh- what do you mean by that? Well, one of my uh, teachers would put us in a uh, group of three, and one person would ask of the other person, and the other person had to say no, and the third person would report what had happened. And I never knew that I saw Noah's rejection, but I was one of the reporters, and I stood up and said, you know, Jane asked Harry, and Harry rejected her. And he went, <laughs> screamed, and said, nobody rejected anybody. He said, no, I can't do what you ask. That's all. In this country, I think a lot of us, because I hear that from people, I don't want to reject, I don't want anyone rejecting me, I don't want to be rejected. No simply means I can't do what you ask. If I ask you to get me a glass of water and you say no, you're just saying no, I can't get you a glass of water. You're not saying no, you're a horrible person, I'm never going to get you a glass of water. You're just saying no at this minute, I can't get you a glass of water. But we add to that. And that's a cultural thing that we have to start to observe and not let that run us because it's very freeing when you can hear no and very freeing when you can say no. Sure, Steve sure. Yeah, we, do. We, internalize. we definitely internalize. And yeah, so that but we make up. It's worse. We, we make up that you're rejecting us. Right, it's not even really happening. Sure, yeah, it's it, we're imagining that that's what's happening, and then internalizing it, and and then yes. growing resentment, and <laughs> it's a, it's a vicious yes. cycle. It really, really is. Yeah, um, yeah, one that's it, it's hard to. Um, I don't know. I mean, just just thinking about the cultural norms 
of modern society. I mean, this is this is some some brain retraining here. I'm sure you have a lot of people that come into your office, your clients, that show some resistance. Um, yes, and I can tell you that the, that there the, there will be a point um, because usually what I do is. I'll do on a scale of 1 to 10. Here's a 10, what I could say, because I've been doing this for years. Here's a 1. I'm going to let you use illness if you want. Here's a 5. No story, but you can say all sorts of nice things. And and so I let people pick which one of those. I mean, as you know, in my book, I give examples of how to say it. In my right. office, I've... I've given people, okay, you know, here's what I would say. No way, Jose. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like people would say to me, well, I can't say no. My religion tells me I can't say no. Or I can't say no. It's a charity. And I, I would say you're looking at your schedule. You can say yes to things and no to things. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's whether you can fit it into your schedule. And then, obviously, you do the ones that are most exciting to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the things that are going to bring you the most personal fulfillment. Right. Yeah. So for people who are trying to figure out what to ask for, so they've, they've, they've learned to say no, and then they're getting to the point where they're, they're ready to, to make the ask, how do they find out what to ask? How, how do they find themselves and and get in touch with their own personal needs. Well, I remember having dinner with somebody, and um, I don't like ice in my water. And so I just said to the waiter, could I have mine with, with no ice, please? And she was appalled. <gasps> Why did you do that? <laughs> I said, um, because I don't eat ice, <laughs> I guess, is the best answer. Start with that. Start with asking for something the way you want it. Ask for your meat the way you want it. Ask for your dinner. Practice at a restaurant. If you're, I mean, those are places of service. A good restaurant is going to want you to have things the way you want it so you'll come back. Right. Right. And and that's it's completely appropriate in a place of service to make demands. One would yes. think that everyone would be would feel that way, but a, a lot of people don't feel comfortable sending a steak back if it's cooked the wrong way. Um, no, and I would do that. But even listen to the word you used, which is where people get trapped. You said making demands. For me, it's not a demand. It's just here's how I like it. Well, but right, people right, right. think you're being difficult and i've had people say to me you know i'm so not difficult i am just the best person and then later on after they got healthy laugh at themselves like that was a good quality realizing they had never taken care of themselves they didn't know how to they thought it was a bad thing but you need to see it as not a heavy burden or demand but just as hey here's how i'd like that because people, right. when they're serving you, they they want they want to take care of you. They do, and and so when you're when you're learning how to do it, and you're you're realizing it's so funny that I did that because it is it's so it's so ingrained in in a lot of us that that yes. that's just not 
the way to that that's just not the way to be uh but right. people pride themselves on on that what you were saying of of being so easygoing and you know I'm a roll with the punches kind of guy or I'm the roll with the punches kind of woman and um and and they that's their identity and they're proud of it and they judge other people for not being that way and you actually in here say that uh that Judging other people is a symptom of people pleasing. So, well, explain that. A I find that the less honest you are, the more likely you're going to be judging other people. Your voices, your internal conversations are not going to match your external. You know, take a notice in the shower if your conversations are exactly the same as what you would say in person. If you're forced to go to the person you have the issue with, you're going to say it with some with less judgment. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're forced to say, "Hey, Shannon, I, you know, I was hoping the other night that you know you, we could split dinner." If I'm forced to come to you, I'm not probably going to have the same conversation I would have with you if I did it behind your back. Right. Because if you're not hearing it, I'll probably embellish it. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. And and you also you talk about about martyrdom. And uh it, talk talk a little bit about the effect um the the effect of martyrdom and and that it has upon upon families and the that people think that they're they're being strong uh when they're really actually it's the opposite. I I mean I think a great visual I remember working with a family and the mother was making all the sacrifices so she probably had one or two outfits in her closet whereas her daughters had new outfits every day. That's an extreme example. But it's a good example to show you your daughters don't want that. They don't want to see that. They want you to take care of yourself. They want you to teach them how to do that, and they want you to do that too. Because the odds are there's some sort of guilt connected in all that martyrdom, and, and I'm just one of those people that you're not going to get me feeling guilty. I believe that accountability is what we need to take versus feeling guilty. So I think if you're going to make uh, offers and you, you want to make sacrifices, you need to do them so that they're clean. You don't have strings attached. You don't think you're a better person because you did it. You just do it because it comes from your heart. And that, and there's, there's, my favorite quote in the entire book, uh, I, I, I'll pull it up right here. Strength is not what you can handle. Survival is what you can handle. Strength is having the courage to say no to toxic people and places. And yep. that resonated so strongly with me because so many people, uh, they equate strength with having survived many terrible things in their life or, or having overcome challenges, and and that's really survival. So tell me a little bit about uh, where you came up with that. Um, 
just having that so many people in my office who had just exactly what you said, I'm the lowest maintenance person, look at me, I've made all these sacrifices, resentment pouring out of the pores. You know, when we when we when we survive a catastrophe or a difficult situation, we build character. But when we don't take care of ourselves, you know, I mean, it's a simple little put your oxygen mask on first and then put others on. If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to, your light's going to go out. If you take care of yourself, if you have a voice, if you speak up, you will be a strong person because you had the courage to be honest, to have a voice, to speak up. Um, But just taking a lot of abuse is not what I call strength. Right. That goes back to the whole martyrdom theme. That's, um, yeah, that's that's surviving, and and it's hard for people to admit that it's self-inflicted. You know, I, I mean, I, I used to be a hand raiser, and, and by that, uh, you know, I just mean someone would say, will anybody volunteer to do this? I will. It's an important cause. I would love to do it. And then, you know, finally I would get bags under my eyes, and I would be so tired, and I finally learned, okay, Shannon, bring the hand down, bring the hand down. Um, <laughs> people don't realize that we do it to ourselves a lot. I mean, I, I think a lot of people genuinely don't. They're not self-aware enough or, or it takes a long time for them to become self-aware enough that, that, that they're the ones making the decision to do this, and they're the one with the power to stop it. And it's not, you know, and, it, and it's because they're holding all of this resentment. And so how, how does somebody release that resentment? You know, let's say they're, they're working and they're following your suggestions and they're becoming stronger. All that resentment that they're holding for, you know, I mean, if, if, they, if they were abused as a child or um, it, as an adult, how does somebody let go of that resentment? I think the first step is you have to stop fueling it. You have to stop feeding it. You have to stop putting more in that. Um, and you have to realize, you know, what, I mean, this book is a lot about my journey, so it's not that I don't know this from firsthand experience. Once you stop adding resentment, once you start to take care of yourself, you realize that you were the one that signed on for all that. You didn't right. know what you didn't know until you do know it. Uh, but I would say once you know it and you don't do anything about it, is when the real crisis happens. Once you know it and you start to do life differently, you can let all of that go because you're just not adding it anymore. You start to feel powerful. You start to feel in charge of your life. You're asking for your the money that's due for you. You're raising your standards for your friendships, for your relationships, uh, you're requiring your children to treat you well. You're, you, you, you just don't have to see the cup half empty. You're taking care of yourself. The world looks good, and it feels better. It just feels better. Right, and so the, the resentment just melts away because you're not focused outwardly anymore. You're focused on your life and, and what you need. And you talk about... The, the missed time and the, the morning of time that was missed. Um, 
you know, and there's there's no way we can ever take time back. So what's a what's a perspective on that? If if somebody is, you know, reading this book and they're 75 years old and they finally have that aha moment, as Oprah would say, and they're like, gosh darn it, I'm 75. <laughs> Why didn't I have this book when I was 25? Um, how how do they get rid of that regret? I think you take charge of what you can. I would be saying, okay, when I go, this is how I want to go. This is the service I want. I won't be around to make sure you do it this way, but I want to let everybody know what I think. These are the songs I want to listen to. These are the, this is how I want to spend. This is my bucket list. I mean, just take charge of what you can. I think that the good news about this is that we drive this boat. We may have driven it the wrong way, but we're in charge of driving it the right way. And even if it's simple little things, like I'm going to eat ice cream for breakfast or I, at 75, I'm going to do whatever I want for whatever time I have left, you will have gotten the message and you will be taking care of yourself. And you can speak your piece and tell people what you think. Right, right. Well, and 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 this really goes for every single relationship and every single interaction that you have. It can be with you know, with that ice cream clerk or with a friend yep. uh, or with yep. the person at the funeral home when you're picking out your casket. I mean, it's the yep. the um once you once you kind of take control and take power, you it, it, it emanates from you the same way that that victim energy used to emanate. Yes. So yes. do people typically, once they go through this transformation, do they typically surround themselves with different people? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't tolerate because because they their game doesn't work on you anymore. You're not going to do, you're not going to be raising your hand. You're, you're, their game does not work. You're saying you want to be friends with me. It's going to be more equal. We're not going to be friends because I do all the charity work or I do all the volunteer work. We're going to be friends because you like the conversations. We like to hang out. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's. I mean, let's, look let's, at let's... look at things like Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff would not let you invest with him if you made requests of him. If you'd read my book and you started saying, "Hey, Bernie, how are you making twenty percent when nobody else is?" He wouldn't like that, and you wouldn't have been allowed to be in his his thing. And people just took it because they were like, yeah. he gets good results. He just doesn't want right. to tell it his sister. <laughs> right. And, you know, wow, I think I have in the book there, it was an example of me. I had a financial advisor who told me I shouldn't ask him any questions. He had the whole Bernie Madoff thing going. I yeah, said, really? Yeah. That's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to, if you're taking control of your life, you can't hand that over to somebody else, especially if you're, the process that you're going through is is, is learning to take control, right. handing it over. It, it, right. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about addiction because I think everything we've we've talked about heretofore, uh, kind of everybody can relate to anybody that's that's you know been a people pleaser at at any point for any reason. Uh, but it goes a little bit farther when you're talking about addiction, whether it's the person who's addicted or the family, friends, spouse of the person who um, who's having that addiction. So just t- tell me a little bit about ad- addiction and how, however you want to start it. Well, I think um, it's just a great place 
to give you instant feedback about whether you're taking care of yourself. Because if you're living with someone who comes home and throws up and you're cleaning up that person and dressing them up nicely and putting them in bed, then you're probably in huge need of my book and you're in need of getting a little self-awareness and self-care because you're being, you're handling someone else's dysfunction. You need to leave someone else's dysfunction to them. It's their dysfunction. They're going to have to figure it out. When you take people's consequences away from them, they don't get the feedback. If you, if you have staff and you don't tell them what they're doing wrong so that they can correct it and then you're upset because they're doing it wrong, that's really on you. So it, with addictions, you know, if you're just pretending that it's okay for you to be in that car with someone, you know, with a high blood alcohol level, you're crazy. And you right. need to look at that. So it shows you what standard is okay for you. And, you know, for them, all they want is for you to leave them alone and in the crazy thinking and to be left to to be in their addiction. Um, so it's just a great place to say, wow, you know, I guess I'm not taking care of myself and, and I need to. And I've, you know, I think parents don't want to see it. I've had fathers call me and give me horrendous stories about their child in college and, telling me that, you know, he's probably not in trouble, is he? And, you know, no, actually, if you know about it, he probably is. Um, So I think that, you know, lots of doctors don't want to ask about use, uh, substance use, because they don't know what to do when they find it. People don't want to know it because they don't know what to do when they find it. Um, But we need to stop pretending it's not happened. We need to, we need to acknowledge it. Um, these people need help and we need to stop pretending they don't need help. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's so prevalent, I mean, especially alcoholism. I mean, because it's a social thing and, you know, people go out and they're social and they have drinks and for most of us, we do that and it's fine. And then there are others who, you know, they just, they can't stop and, and then they're, their their whole body and mind becomes a slave to that. Now, so yep. you've done a lot of work with addiction. So yes. what, to, to talk to someone who, anyone listening out there who is currently struggling with an addiction, um, how do they learn to get their backbone to to get out of it and to get themselves straight? Well, my experience, and I've heard this uh from a lot of people in recovery is that there is often a lot of people pleasing. Now the nature of addictions is very um, opportunistic when you're in the disease, but when you take away the disease, I think you may find that there are a lot of people who need to learn the lessons of my book. I have definitely had people in recovery call me and say, Oh my gosh, this is me. So, I think that's an interesting phenomena. And, you know, how many kids get into trouble because they haven't been taught to say no to their friends? People say that, 
people say that uh, drug testing teens, oh, horrible thing, why would you do that? Don't you trust them? I actually think it's a very, it can be a very positive thing because for the teens who can't say no to their friends, it's an instant way to say no. They just say, you know what, I, I don't get to do that because I get drug tested in my house. And I've seen kids wear that like a badge of, you know, my parents care about me. So that's mm-hmm. the way we run the house, and I'm not going to do those things you guys are doing. Sure. Well, and earlier you talked about accountability, you know, taking yep. accountability for your own actions. And yep. sometimes you need a little help, you know, like to have to say, I'm going to get drug tested. But when you're young, I mean, it, it, it definitely teaches responsible behavior for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you studied addiction and worked with addiction for so long. Um it, it, it's got to be, I mean, just on a personal level, both rewarding and frustrating to, to see the successes and failures. It's a, it's a very tough field. I think if you're in it, um, you have got, I trained with some of the best who, I remember one, one supervisor said, you know, I wouldn't be in it except that I, I love addicts. I love, uh, I love the addicted person. Um, you have got to have a sense of humor. You've got to have, uh, an understanding, you know, in traditional uh, psychiatry, this, the feeling is that people want to get help. Um, most people with addictions who are struggling with substance use, um, there's some sort of leverage that's happening uh, that they need to get help. They've reached a bottom. They're going to lose a spouse, a job, or something like that. It's a different field, and you need to know that. Um, these people need compassion, caring, tough love, uh, all the things everybody does, but, but it's just different than, oh, I mean, maybe there are some. I think I had one person in all the years that I practiced who woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm done. I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. But most people don't come into your office saying, hi, you know, I've got a problem with substances, and I'm, I just think it's time to stop. Yeah. Um, so it's just a different field, and you really shouldn't be in it unless you really have a lot of caring and uh, patience to help people. And we don't know enough about addictions right now. I do believe... Uh, the more we study the brain, the more we're going to understand, the more we'll have different options and tools for people who are wrestling with um, substances. Sure. I mean, I, I love that there, that there are medications that they can give for certain substances to help people wean off of them, uh, to, you know, to target the opiate receptors for people who are addicted to heroin. Um, yep. And it's... You know, that's, and I think there's something they can give you for alcohol, isn't there? Yes, and, um, you know, I just think we have to go deeper into that way and understand that it's going to be a multifaceted approach and that no one has the single answer and no um, person is the same, and we can't make different tools wrong because they weren't the tools that you used. We got to have a full toolbox and we have to have an acceptance of the fact that 
everybody's different. Well, and I mean, just just with with any kind of medicine. I mean, there are there are developments and there are new treatments, and 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 we we've got to try them and we've got to use them. So, what is your take on the the rock bottom position? Does it usually take hitting a rock bottom uh, for someone to stop? I think most people will tell you that uh, it takes a crisis, and what, you know, it it usually takes a crisis to happen before someone gets help. You know, some people have a higher bottom, if you want to call it that, but my experience is that it's a crisis that happens uh, that precipitates somebody getting some help. And there again, there's your drama. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And so, so it sounds like the 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 root, at least psychologically, from a, a, a nurture versus nature standpoint, uh, taking taking out of the equation the genetic link and all of that. Um, it sounds like childhood coping mechanisms, the, the learned childhood coping mechanisms, account for just about everything we've talked about tonight. Um, yes, not, maybe not account, but are part of. Right, right, right. Lead lead to, can, can lead to, because learning to escape, learning to break the tension, learning to, learning how to react in a situation that you think is normal, that, that isn't normal. Yes. Um, but I think a lot of And then, as I said, as I said to you, um, developing this backbone however you came from whatever road you came it just makes your you'll be more successful if you're studying if you're if you have a career you know what is this uh rape going rampant on colleges if women have the ability to say no if um if women help other women if we start to say no to the abuses um in your families, in your marriages, in your relationships, life just gets better if you have the ability to say no, you have the ability to ask for things that you need, and you have the ability to speak your truth. It just gets better. Sure, sure. And and raising awareness, um, you know, through through writing a book and through doing radio and through any any kind of awareness that anybody out there can do to normalize these things so that we can talk about them. Because when they are behind closed doors, uh, you know, that's what so much that I've, I've dealt with, you know, dealing with, uh, with rape advocacy or anti-rape advocacy is that it's behind the shadows and people are ashamed and yep. they, they don't want to talk about it. And so you can't address something uh, unless it is acknowledged. And we've just got to take away the stigma of 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 being victimized. Yes. Yes. No, and you're absolutely right about we've got to be able to talk about it. I mean, this it's insane. Um, Penn State, it's insanity. Uh, what goes on that people have the ability to pretend isn't going on? Rationalization is a horrible thing in these cases. Um, and we need to. Oh, you see that in the in the rape advocacy. It's just a, we have to get people to be able to speak up. They have to have a safe environment. 
it's unre- it's crazy that that we can't expect that our, we can send our kids to college and they they have to be at risk. We need to make sure they are safe. Definitely, and the military. I mean, military sexual assaults are are through the yep. roof and reported through the chain of command, which usually does not uh, does not bode well for for the victim. Although that's changing, they're they're thankfully addressing it. And and with the president's commission on college sexual assault, I mean, the, oh, people really are trying. Society is trying. Lawmakers are trying. Advocates are trying. We're, I, I, I think we're making some headway as far as really opening people's eyes to what is going on and what has been going on for years. People are like, why is everybody suddenly getting raped? Well, people have been getting raped always. It's, finally, we're talking about it so that maybe we can do something about it. And so it's the, the same thing with, with the addiction and the same thing with the people-pleasing and and I think people pleasing it, it it sounds like something simple and innocuous, but you know from the the things that we've talked about tonight and and all of the different situations in which we can find ourselves that you talk about in the book um, i mean it can it can really really rule rule and ruin your life if you don't get your backbone power yep, yep, no, there's no question, and I would tell you that. It's not my specialty, but the little I know about eating disorders, I also think that they're swallowing their truth and then vomiting it out somewhere else. I just think it's also a dignity issue where they're not not speaking what is truly on their mind. That that's yeah. a piece, not the only piece, but it's a piece. Right. And yeah, if we look at if we look at the culture. I mean, we have to look at where the women who have fought for our rights, where we are today, and then if we look at ISIS and where they would like us to be, that is way back where, you know, you have not a voice, nothing. You are a sex slave. You are, you do what I say, we'll pass you around. I mean, that is, you know, a lot of where we have come from. So for us to fall asleep at the wheel and not speak our voices and not, make our light brighter so that they can come to us. We do not want to go back to them. We need to pull people to the higher place where we don't tolerate this. People do speak up. I mean, I think any time they do studies on who do criminals attack, they attack people who look like victims. You know, if you're walking strong and you got a swagger, odds are they're going to pass you up. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the the studios is is letting me know that we've got a minute left, and then we're going to be they're they're going to disconnect us. So um, I just want to thank you so so much for coming on the show, and um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed your book. And it, for the listeners out there, is there a website that they can go to 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 find out more about you or the book? And I've got lots of articles. www.backbonepower.com. Lots of articles. Lots of free information. Parenting. If you're in divorce, um, uh, dating, all that. Just please visit the website. I try to give you how to do it. Try to be practical. Um, stay out of the heady stuff. And you know, you can start it tomorrow. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. And thank you. I hope 
enjoy the rest of your evening, and hopefully I will have occasion to work with you again in the future. I would love that. Thank you, Shannon. Here. Bye. Bye.